The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 89 for the week of October 22nd. Alex, last time we got together, you were wearing snow boots and a big parka. Yes. And today you're I was wearing freezing. sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt. That's right. It's uh, it's a beautiful day today. Uh, weather is great. Our winter has passed. It's already spring. Ah, oh, finally. We made it through that long, Woo! long, cold winter. It was tough. Yeah. Well, let's, before we dive into the news, talk about a little bit of housekeeping. We do have a Slack channel with over 600 people, a great opportunity for you to get to meet other people who do security work here in the Denver area. We also have a mailing list. If you would like to hear about what's going on with the show, get the show notes in the mail, go ahead and sign up for that mailing list and we will get that out to you ASAP. You can get that at colorado-security.com. We would also love it if you would subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast viewing application, whether you're doing iTunes or or Stitcher or any of those other crazy places. Lipsin or I don't know. <laughs> SoundCloud. Uh, SoundCloud. Um, also, if you really like the show and want to support us financially, we have a Patreon campaign. It would be awesome if you signed up and uh, helped us cover the costs that we have for the show. Um, you are uh, welcome to sign up for any dollar amount that you would like. But if you sign up for $10 a month or more, you will get a free t-shirt and a shout out on this show. And if you really like us, but you don't want to spend any money, that's fine too. We'd ask you just to go tell a friend or tell a coworker about the show and hopefully get us some new listeners. Awesome. So... Rob, Denver is on a very prestigious list, um, one that I'm sure all cities would like to be on. Uh, are we behind Austin? Uh, we are not behind Austin. All right. We're ahead We're of moving Austin. up. Okay. And yeah. what is, what's this list? Uh, Denver is among the top 10 most rat infested cities. <laughs> So, but we're not behind Austin. All right. Uh, so I guess the good news, if you're going to be on the top 10 most rat infested cities, the, the spot to be is slot 10, which yeah. is exactly where we are. Congrats to Denver for, for only being number 10. Uh, we do have some decent company. Uh, the number one most rat infested city is Chicago. Behind that is Los Angeles, New York, DC, San Francisco, Detroit, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Baltimore. Yeah, good stuff. Um, if you are looking for rats, then you've come to the right place. And the, this list comes from Orkin, and I guess the, the, the Orkin man saying, you know, where they're getting the most calls yeah. for, for rat removal, right? Uh, speaking of getting rid of rats, I don't, I don't have a good segue here, <laughs> getting rid of things, uh, Sears is going at Chapter 11, and they're going to be closing a bunch of different stores, yeah. including a couple here in Colorado. Uh, yeah, speaking of getting rid of things, Sears is getting rid of its, its debt. <laughs> yeah, it, it's debt and uh, much of its value as well. They did sell off Craftsman recently to Black & Decker, so they, they don't have nearly the, uh, the the same number of brains they used to have. Um, there are two stores that are going to be closing here in Colorado, including the one at Streets of South Glen on University, which is my Sears. I'm disappointed to see oh. that go away. Uh, and they're also closing one in Lakewood um, on Colfax. There's uh, still going to be another 24 Sears stores and two Kmarts in the state. Uh, for reference, as of May, Sears had fewer than 900 stores, down from its 2012 peak of 4,000. It is a pretty big deal, huh? It, it is a pretty big deal. Sears Sad. is a pretty big brand. Yeah. And, you know, they were the Amazon of 100 years ago where everyone got these, you know, the Sears Roebuck catalogs in their house and you mailed away yeah. and you could buy anything. Including basically. a house. You could you, buy a house out of the yeah. catalog. Did we listen to that? Did you listen to the podcast? Or I listened to, to a mm. podcast recently that was all about how people were buying houses that they would build themselves and in their homes from Sears. Pretty cool I, stuff. I think I know what Sears problem is, though. There was a quote in the article that says the problem in Sears case is that it is a poor retailer. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> they also, you know, they also are burdened with this huge pension that they have to pay. And yes. you know, they, they have some some negatives that even if they were the best, it'd be really tough for them to compete with, with the likes of the new companies. So uh, in some positive news, uh, Bellevue Station, which is a development at Bellevue and I-25, has got a new tenant. Um, you know, recently we heard that Western Union was moving into a yeah. building there and putting their headquarters um, at, at Bellevue Station. Uh, but now Newmont Mining is signing on to be in a, a different building, I believe, across the street. Are, so are they going to have their name on a building, too? I think so. It is awesome. a separate building. So Newmont's moving up. They're, they're just over there at 
at a dry Creek in 25, right? They are uh, over by, by Pulte, I think. Yes. Uh, just it, moving up a couple exits. It, it sounds like one of the draws, um, well, a couple, one is that these are brand new buildings, you know, so you don't have to worry about remodeling the building that you're in, get to, to move into a new building with, you know, fancy new amenities and all that stuff. Uh, the other thing is, uh, which appears to be important is that at that particular location, you have a Denver address, which is important for some businesses. And there looks like they're going to be moving four to 500 employees. So a pretty good size. Uh, good size headquarters there. And this also seems to be part of the trend uh, where suburban companies are trying to move into a little bit of a more urban kind of environment. So, you know, at Bellevue station, there's a, a bunch of restaurants and shops and other things that are, they're part of the buildings there. You got a little bit, a yeah. little bit of uh, more style and, and panache. Is this the first time we've talked about Newmont? No, we've had a job or two from Newmont. In yeah, the past. I'm sure yeah. we have. Well, speaking of companies that we talk about on the podcast sometimes, we've talked a lot about SendGrid, even though they're not a security company. They are a technology company, and they've been in the news a lot. Uh, well, this in the last week, you know, big news, they are being acquired. Even though SendGrid did an IPO a, about a year ago, they're, they're now being acquired by Twilio. Yeah, so uh, Twilio is... I guess I would call them a similar company, but for other services besides email. Basically, I mean, from my perspective, SendGrid is the default platform for sending out email. Twilio is the default platform for sending out texts. That's how I've seen or it Or phone used. calls, I think. Okay, also. fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so, so Twilio is buying SendGrid. Their headquarters for Twilio is in California, but um, they've... SendGrid has assured everyone that they're going to keep their huge presence in Denver. All of the executives are going to stay there. Um, it is, you know, Twilio is excited to get into the Denver tech community and certainly not looking to leave it. Yeah. And this was a, a an all stock transaction for about $2 billion. That's pretty good. That's that a lot, it's a lot of money. A, so congratulations to those guys. Congratulations to Scott Gerlach, who is the, the CISO over there. Yeah. Scott, hopefully this is a great thing for you. For sure. Um, some not as good news. Um, the Innovation Pavilion, which is an incubator uh, down in, in uh, the tech center, you know, they had hosted some meetings, uh, I think, for ISSA in the past. But anyway, they're, they're a place where um, where you could incubate companies. They're actually closing. There was some news, uh, I think it was probably last year, that the, the CEO was, um, was sued for some sexual assault allegations. Yeah. Um, so certainly a bummer to hear that the whole company is going to go out of business. It, it's not too surprising when one person starts and builds up a company uh, that when that person goes down, it, you know, it can take a whole business with it. They're just not big enough to, to survive that. Yeah. And, and prior to those allegations, the Innovation Pavilion had been working on some deals to try and take their model to some other cities, but it doesn't yeah. seem like that's going to happen. Yeah. So certainly, you know, sad news. Uh, obviously, this is something I know we had ISSA meetings there a couple of times in the yep. past. And, you know, it's just disappointing to see it go away. Uh, with that, moving over to uh, something we actually don't have a link for, but Alex, you know, last week, uh, the feature interview was with Dr. Charles Lively, the head of the, the IT and security programs at CSU Global Campus. I got a note this week from uh, from Ian Morgan. Ian is the CISO over at Lender Live, and he has gone through both the bachelor and master's program from that program. And, oh, cool. Um, and he had some really positive things to say. So uh, just to share with you guys, you know, he, he, he made the, the comment that... Um, you know, relative to other programs he's looked at and he's taken some classes uh, from Washington State and other folks, he th really appreciated the CSU Global Campus experience, something that was able, he was able to work with remotely, um, said that they they really mirrored the industry knowledge, as you might expect from like the Sean Harris CISSP type book, really relevant stuff from the security perspective. And uh, what, he highly recommended the program there. So just kind of nice to get some, some uh, recommendations. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, next, uh, Chairwall was in the news. Um, they are uh, an ITSM uh, service provider, kind of like um, ServiceNow, and they're based down in Colorado Springs. We actually had uh, Vance Brown, who is the, the CEO of the National Cybersecurity Center, who is the, the founder and CEO, a uh, former CEO, excuse me, uh, of Chairwell on the program before. Um, but this is just talking about how uh, Chairwell now has a new CEO, uh, Sam Gillian, Gilliland, sorry, uh, who's the former CEO of Travelocity. And so he is now um, at Chairwell. And it looks like while they're based in Colorado Springs, they're expanding their presence in Denver. Um, so maybe some talk about them even moving their headquarters up a little farther north from Colorado Springs. The article does have some numbers in it. Chairwell uh, has about 500 employees globally with 280 in their Springs headquarters. Right now, the Denver office has about 35 employees, and they're talking about tripling that. So we should expect, you know, 100-ish employees there in their downtown Denver office here coming up soon. 
Yeah, and Chairworld had recently gotten about $250 million in investments with about $172 million of that coming in April from KKR. Yeah, KKR is one of the you know big private equity funds out there and uh, pretty cool stuff. So good, looking forward to seeing what happens there. Uh, next, we have an article from BizWest, Biz uh, which is actually talking about a presentation done by our friend Josh Saunders. Josh is the senior director of enterprise risk management. Who He's basically the CISO over at Otter Products up in Fort Collins. And he's talking uh, just a lot at the uh, annual Flood and Peterson Symposium, um, talking about security and talking about what companies need to be doing and really what individuals need to be doing to keep their own data secure. Yeah, so they, they definitely had some uh, good takeaways in the article. Um, he mentioned some practices, both for individuals and companies, including um, things like using password vaults. Uh, funny when we had the, the discussion last week about the ping blog that said, don't use password vaults. Uh, he, he also mentioned that you shouldn't u- let your browser store your password. Um, you know, it, if you do have it stored in the password, it becomes a, play, a vulnerability that bad guys can pull it out or, or use it to log in automatically. Also, multi-factor authentication, which I think we have said many times is a wonderful thing and that you should do. And he says you should turn off your location services on your cell phone. Um, of course, that that's going to be for privacy and, and monitoring that folks might want to do about you. So interesting stuff. Yeah. So take a look at that blog. Good stuff. Next, uh, Webroot actually announced a new product this week. They are entering the VPN space, uh, sort of the personal VPN space. And they were launching Webroot Wi-Fi security. Yeah, so we, we've heard a lot of news from them in the last couple of years about their enterprise offerings and their threat intelligence offerings. This is the first consumer grade offering that I think I've seen in a while from them. So it's neat to see that they're they're still playing and you know kind of what got them here, right? Yeah, I think one of the cool things is that their Wi-Fi technology, excuse me, their VPN technology uh, leverages their the Webroot Break Cloud Threat Intelligence, which is you know one of their big products developing that threat intelligence. So um, as part of your VPN, you'll be able to stay away from bad sites. Uh, it looks like it costs 40 bucks a year. So if you, you know, for just a couple, you know, three bucks a month, you, you'll have this service protecting you. It, no, not a, not a too high a price tag, I hope. So if anyone uh, takes a look at that service, we'd love to hear about how it works for you. All right. Uh, next, we have a blog post uh, from Virtual Armor, another one of the local security companies here. It's recapping DerbyCon, the Der- big DerbyCon con- conference. This is one of the conferences that you know is pretty well known nationally it's not a huge conference it's certainly nothing like black hat or rsa in terms of size but it is really well known for having uh, high quality technical talks and kind of that smaller feel that you get from a regional conference like that yeah one of the interesting things that i saw in there is uh they talked about a a talk given by apple and uh, some more uh, features that they've come out recently for doing code signing which was pretty cool uh, I did have one of my employees went to DerbyCon this year and uh, really enjoyed the, the conference. Um, I think you, getting hands-on and the more technical talks, he was able to see some actual exploitations and, and kind of learn how to do some of the more technical stuff that he hadn't done before. So it's it's a neat opportunity for those who, who want to go see it. And uh, of course, it would never take the place of RMISC here in Denver. Of course. But it, it is something else for folks to look at. And I believe DerbyCon is one of the conferences that uh, puts their videos up online. So if you want to see all the talks, yeah. go Go check that out. Uh, next, there was a, a Zavello blog this week uh, talking about an increase in phishing scams uh, targeting Apple ID users. Yeah, you know, I have gotten, I don't know, an, an email every day for the last month saying, hey, your Apple purchase just gone through, you know, check your invoice here. And they, they've really uh, been hitting on that hard. It, it didn't even occur to me until I ta- saw this article that that it's happened, right? I, yeah. I just, I, I know I've been getting them, but I never really put it all together to say, oh yeah, it's, it's really increased. And it really has increased for me. Uh, yeah, I would say the same, but I will say that they seem to go to my Gmail and Google is pretty good about catching those things. So I, I don't know that I've seen many actually hit my inbox, um, but, but I have definitely seen them in my spam folder. So for those of you who are putting together a dossier against Alex, <laughs> Gmail is the, uh, the platform to attack. Definitely. My Proton mail account, You'll, uh, you'll have a hard time getting me on. Well, if you really want to get me, send it to my AOL address. <laughs> uh, last article in here is not really an article. It's a kind of a news thing. ISSA International, which is the, the parent group for ISSA Denver and ISSA Colorado Springs. And, and uh, what do they call the F- Fort Collins one? In Northern Colorado. Northern chapter? Colorado, yeah. The NOCO chapter. Um, 
they uh, they every year they do their big annual uh, awards presentation, and, and the, the conference was this last week. Alex, I believe you were there in person, right? I was, and and there were some pretty exciting awards from a Colorado perspective. Yeah, so this year we had some Hall of Fame recipients: uh, Gordon Lyon, Mark Weatherford, who is uh, here in Colorado. Yeah. Congratulations, Mark. Uh, William Cheswick. Susan Landau and Phil Zimmerman. So yeah, obviously Mark Weatherford, you know, from our area, one of the only one of only five people to to make the uh, the Hall of Fame this year. Um, and then there is an honor roll recipient. There's only one person who who made the honor roll, and it is the former president of Colorado Springs ISSA, Pat Laverty. Yeah, congratulations, Pat. Also, they uh, awarded the chapters of the year, and they do that in in several different varieties based on the size of the chapter. So. The uh, ISSA Fayetteville slash Fort Bragg chapter won for small chapter of the year. Oh, good for them. <laughs> the ISSA Alamo chapter won for medium chapter. Well, you know, maybe someday they'll get to the big chapter. That's right. And the winner for large chapter was the ISSA Denver chapter. ISSA Denver. So congrats. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, 2017, Colorado Springs won the chapter of the year award. They did. Um, so, you know, two years in a row, taking down the large chapter of the year here in Colorado. Yeah, I think last year Denver got sort of an unofficial um, runner-up. A, uh, a you, you know you should have won, but you didn't. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll call it what it's like. Um, but congratulations to the Denver chapter for winning this year. Great work by yeah. them. Um, and so there, there was a, several other awards, and we're not going to go through all of them. But there was one other one that um, that I called out here, uh, which is that Johannes Ulrich won the. Uh, 2018 President's Award for Public Service. Johannes Ulrich does the Daily Sands Internet Stormcast podcast. This is just a, a thing he does to help the community. It's five right. minutes every single day. I listen to it on the way to work every morning, and it gives you you know all of the the breaking news of the day. So I don't I never walk into the office not knowing that Heartbleed just happened or whatever the big vulnerability yep. is. Yeah, and I, I think my favorite thing is that at the beginning of the podcast he says. I'm Johannes Ulrich and I'm coming from, and it's wherever he happens to be that week teaching yeah. or, or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'm in, uh, he's in Antwerp, Belgium. Belgium. Yeah, he's I'm, in, I'm in go. Thailand. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm in Florida. He, he's in Jacksonville, Florida when yeah. he's home. And yeah. then, and then that's half the yeah. time. He's somewhere random the rest of the time. Yeah. So I, I will say it, it's a lot of work, you know, Rob, for you and I to put together this weekly podcast. Right. I can't imagine doing one every day without fail. Yeah, he's he's an impressive guy and certainly worthy of winning that award. So, Johannes, we appreciate your, your all your work in the community. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's it for news. Moving over to the Slack message of the week. Uh, first of all, we'll want to say thanks to Andre Gata. Andre is our, our sponsor for the, this segment of the show every week. Uh, the winner of the Slack message of the week gets to pick something from the Colorado Equal Security Store and get some swag sent right to him. So this week's message comes from J.D. Burke. Congratulations, J.D. Um, J.D. started a discussion this week by posting an article about um, IBM's new sock on wheels. It's a, a semi-truck outfitted essentially as a sock that they're and taking it, on tour. And it's painted red and it looks just like Optimus Prime. Is that true? Yes, it is. And it transforms also. Well, we're hoping that it gets there at some yeah. point, right? Yeah. So that's what... I, you know, after he posted that, I said, I am not interested in this unless it is Optimus Prime. <laughs> anyway, congratulations, JD. We're looking forward to seeing whatever swag you pick. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to our calendar of events. Before we go through the events, I want to remind you that we do have a, a calendar on the website at colorado-security.com where you can check out everything going on in the security and tech community here in Colorado all the way through February of next year right now. Wow. First on the list, uh, on October 23rd, there is a GDPR meetup, Data Privacy by Design, Securing Your Employees, Customers, and Service Providers. There are four events on the 24th, so get ready. I'm just going to bang through them. There's the Ada Lovelace Day Celebration Denver, bang. which is a women in security event, or excuse me, women in STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. There's a Secure Set Capture the Flag event. Bang! ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their mentorship program. Bang! And finally, ISC Squared Pikes Peak, that's also in the Springs, is doing their October chapter meeting. Man, you banged through those. Uh, on the 25th, ISACA is having their monthly meeting uh, in conjunction with the IIA chapter here. Internal audit innovation, leveraging technology and new methods to build an internal audit group of the future. Also on the 25th, this is actually a new one. There is the second annual Cyber Synergy Award, which is happening down in the, I said award, I don't know why I said that. The second annual Cyber Synergy event that's happening down in Colorado Springs. Uh, on the 26th, 
The Colorado Springs Cybersecurity Group is having their Cybersecurity for Small Business Summit. Uh, Colorado Springs ISSA is doing a mini seminar on Saturday the 27th. SecureSet is doing a Hacking 101 with Microsoft PowerShell on the 29th. The CTA, the Colorado Technology Association, is doing some Security Plus training on the 29th through the 2nd of November. Uh, Cybersecurity in the future... What every organizational leader needs to know is happening on the 30th of October. And that's put on by CSU Global Campus. Uh, On the 31st and 1st of November, we have Secure World Denver. I think we're both speaking at that event in some capacity. Yeah, I am uh, teaching a class on the NIST cybersecurity framework. Lots of uh, local Denver people besides both of us uh, going at that event as well. Uh, Also on the 1st, CTA is doing their um, day of service along with PMI Mile High Chapter. On the first, uh, ISSA Denver has their oil and gas special interest group that's going to be meeting. Also on the first, Secure Set, Secure Set is doing a Hunt Hacking 101 intro to Wi-Fi. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and the last event here is that on the 2nd of November, Colorado Springs is doing their first Friday cybersecurity social mixer. So if you're down there and you want to get to meet some folks, this is your chance to do it. Looking ahead just slightly... On November 7th, um, the CTA is doing their annual Apex Awards. And, of course, uh, we mentioned this a lot last year, but again this year they're doing the CISO of the Year Awards. So um, we have three finalists in that uh, award category. So Debbie Blythe from the state of Colorado, uh, James Carter from Logarithm, and our own Rob Reck from Ping Identity are the, uh, the finalists for that award. Uh, it's great competition. It should be a lot of fun. I assume, Alex, you'll be wearing a, a tuxedo there that night, right? Oh, I was I was going to wear a bathing suit. Tuxi- a tuxedo t-shirt. Yes, tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go ahead and move over to jobs. Uh, first, Ping Identity. I am hiring a cloud security architect. Uh, this is If you want to help build our AWS and cloud security strategy, you know, send me a note. Denver Public Schools is looking for an information security officer. I believe that this is the first of uh, of its kind at Denver Public Schools. So yeah. you get, get to build the security program there. I, I had to do a lot of searching. So so on LinkedIn this week, the CIO had posted, we're hiring a CISO, check the website out. And I spent, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes trying to, checking the website, finding a link. I, I did find a link. So it's embedded here on the show notes if you want to apply. However, it says ISO instead of CISO. So Maybe, you know, maybe it's not the right job. I'm not positive. Uh, speaking of jobs, Great West Financial is hiring a director of security strategic initiatives. And I, I did look through this. Uh, it's going to be reporting directly to Doug, Doug Peterson, who is the CISO over there and a former boss of mine and a friend. And it's basically, I'd call this like a chief of staff type of a role doing budgeting, project management, metrics, reporting, communications, you know, kind of all of the non-technical parts of this job. Nice. Uh, Educause is looking for a director of cybersecurity program. Uh, S&P Global is hiring a cybersecurity incident response lead. Western Union is looking for a senior information security analyst in application development. Um, And if you don't want Western Union, but you want finance, Visa is hiring a cybersecurity analyst for applied cryptography. Wow, I'm surprised that uh, that is not a senior position if it is applied cryptography. Well, you don't have to be that good at it. (laughs) Uh, Webroot is hiring an information security analyst. Uh, Dish Network is hiring a senior security systems administrator. And Red Sky Consulting is looking for a technical recruiter. All right. Well, Alex, that takes us to the end of our uh, news for this week. Our feature interview coming up here is with Justin Tibbs. You know Justin a little bit, right? I do know Justin. Yeah. So I sat down with Justin a a couple weeks ago and and just talked about how he got to be, uh, you know. So awesome. The Yukon Cornelius of security is what I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, uh, I look forward to hearing it. Uh, Justin is an interesting character, so uh, I'm sure it's a great interview. Should be fun. All right, well, that's it for this week, and we'll talk to you again next week, Alex. Thanks, Rob. Hi, I'm Tim O'Brien, the Director of Information Security at EDUCAUSE. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. Uh, This is Rob Reck, and I am sitting today with Justin Tibbs, Justin, I'm excited to talk about what you guys have built over at Red Sky and in your whole career in security and all the good stuff you've done. But first, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about this this security car club you've got? Uh, what was it? Binary. Yeah, Binary Motorsports. Yeah. So yeah, so Phil Wong, uh, you know Phil. Uh, Phil Wong and I are both kind of petrol heads, and so we kind of, we wanted to combine our love of of cars and 
infosec into kind of like uh was it cars uh, comedian cars and comedians or comedians and cars yes thank uh, you jerry seinfeld's uh, yes. show on netflix yes so. exactly i should watch more of that that was phil's kind of correlation to that uh, and the ability to kind of get in a car and, and drive for example initially in the mountains and have some nice curvy roads and and carving time but also still talking about infosec related topics that are completely out of the office and just random random yeah. conversation and banner so that kind of started that that kind of draw to create binary motorsports which is just kind of a fun little car club we created uh, and it started with phil and i and then several people from palo alto like paul lago joined in bo jolly and so now we actually do uh, kind of random, uh, we'll text each other in a group chat and just say, hey, do you want to go do a Deer Creek run or do you want to go do a track run or something like that? And then we'll all just go up and meet somewhere and actually drive around mm. and then stop afterwards for like a smoothie or something and have a conversation about, mm. you know, challenges or whatever it may be. It's pretty cool. It could be just everything down to something about cars or it could be, hey, I've seen some issues with these kinds of threats. So it's kind of interesting because you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, it could be just be a day of, we're driving in the mountains having fun, or it could be a day of driving with some really cool technical talk as well. So, But it doesn't feel like work because you're kind of combining two passions. So what kind of fast car do you drive? Um, so I have a couple of cars. Usually in the mountains, I, I drive a Maserati Gran Turismo. Wow. Uh, Phil drives a Z06 Corvette. Wow. And then the guys, it varies through there from BMW M4s. And I think Bo just got a new kind of nothing. New to him, Porsche, which is really, really nice, really yeah. neat car. So, yeah. So, if there's people listening who want to get involved, can they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not a limited group. It's just just uh, head up Phil Wong or myself, um, or Bo or any of those guys, and just say, hey, I'd, I'd love to hang out with you guys and and go along for a drive, or, or I know some cool places to go drive and conversations and things of that nature. It's open to everybody. It's completely just the more the merrier. Let's just have fun and awesome. and be you know kind of awesome. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's dive in. I'd like to learn a little bit about your background. You know, I actually don't know wh where are you from, Justin. Originally, yeah. I grew up in Europe. Uh, I grew up in uh, Germany, in a little town called Nuremberg, right outside of Nuremberg. Not, not to be confused with Nuremberg Ring. Speaking of cars, yeah. but Nuremberg. Um, so I grew up there. I didn't come to the U.S. until I was thirteen, I think, thirteen or fourteen. All right. Uh, is when I had my first U.S. experience. What brought you to the U.S.? Uh, so my parents are both U.S. citizens. Just okay. coming home. So, so were you over there for military then? My dad or? was in the military, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you were born in on, on a base? I was born on an Air Force base, yes. All right. Yeah, and then uh, I so brought So you're still a U.S. citizen if you're born I, over there. Yes, right? I'm absolutely a U.S. Yeah. citizen. <laughs> so you can, you can become president, got it. Fair enough. Uh, and, and, and where did you uh, live when you came over to the States? Uh, I stayed, in, um, stayed with my grandparents for a little while in Oklahoma, ironically. Mm -hmm. I'd never been there. That was kind of a, a change from coming from, you know, yeah. the, anywhere in Europe to kind of a southern Oklahoma, which is completely just redneck as you can get. Uh, fun, though. Fun experience. Southern Oklahoma. Kind of like Lawton area. Okay. Altus, those areas. Yeah. So um, the, the most exciting thing, I think, was my grandparents took me to, uh, um, I forget the name of the little ice cream shop they have in Oklahoma now that I've never been to in Europe. And that was what they did. Uh, and there was a Dunkin' Donuts drive through which amazed me. I'd never seen one of those. And I'm like, what is this thing? You can drive through and get a donut. Um, so things like that were very fascinating to me. Mm. Um, and I remember actually the first time I came from Europe, uh, from Germany over to visit my grandparents um, with my mom, I, we flew into New York and I saw yellow school buses. And that was the first time I've ever seen one, mm. except for on TV. And I just looked at my mom and said, these things are real, like people ride those things. <laughs> like, because we had, you, you'd ride a city bus over there and it was just much like an RTD bus. Okay. If you're going to school, we didn't have dedicated yellow buses. So it wasn't for kids, it was... It every, was just everybody. Yeah, bus. you got your backpack, yeah. jumped on the city bus and went to where you needed to go. Yeah. Um, so it was very different for me. So. Yeah. But it's been cool. It's, it's So did, did you go to high school there in Oklahoma? Uh, no, so uh, Oklahoma, I went, I only stayed there, sh uh, I don't know, probably six months. Uh, and then I went to middle school roughly in uh, Kansas, in uh, Junction City, Kansas, Fort Riley. Okay. Um, and then I ended up graduating high school right outside of Chicago uh, at a school called um, South Central. Hmm. Uh, it's on the Indiana side. So I graduated in Indiana in cornfields, ironically. My high school sat in a cornfield, which was also a cultural shock. That sounds kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was cool because it's like literally you're driving those cornfields and then there's this huge high school. Yeah. Um, but nothing else around it. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a cool mixture of growing up with very like kind of city life and then coming to the U.S. and kind of getting rural life and then graduating with kind of a mix of Chicago being 30 minutes away but also being in cornfields and kind of having that kind of rural life still there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of an interesting 
you know, kind of path to grow up on, I guess. Yeah. So what did you do after you graduated from high school? After high school, I got to think way back here. Um, after high school, what did I do? I went to school for a little while. Um, went to, bounced in and out of school, ironically. Uh, different colleges here and there. And I ended up just deciding that I was going to go get Cisco certified hmm. because I thought that would be much quicker than trying to finish my comp sci undergrad um, at the time. And so it ended up working out really well. So I just went through the full uh, Cisco CCNA, CCMP courses at the time and got certified and then ended up working for Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Getting a Cisco certification has been a pretty good strategy for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree. It worked out really well. I mean, it's, and I still to this day have not finished my degree. It's funny because I go take courses here or there. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm kind of a professional learner because I always want to try something new. And so I'm always enrolled somewhere taking an online course these days because I don't have time to go to campus. Um, and it's just one of those things where like every fall I'm like, okay, let me find some weird class I want to take. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll ever maybe finish my degree because I don't think all those classes add up to anything other than things I was interested in. Uh, but it's still fascinating. Where are you taking classes? Um, right now at University of Maryland, okay. um, online classes there. And that was kind of a pedigree that was left over from working at Northrop Grumman Lockheed Martin. Uh, they kind of got me to take classes there because they wanted me to finish my comp sci degree. So um, when you worked for Lockheed, were you out there in the DC area? Or where, Lockheed where you... actually took me back to Oklahoma City, believe okay. it or not. Um, so I worked for Lockheed Martin at the Department of Transportation, hmm. uh, which is the FAA in Oklahoma City. That's their, I think their first or second largest campus in the United hmm. States. If you've ever flown into Will Rogers Airport right off to the the right of the airport, there is a huge, it looks like a prison, and there is a prison in there, but it's a huge campus, and uh, that's all the FAA over there. And yeah. They handle all of the um, payroll processing and stuff for DOT, amongst other things there, all the medical records for every pilot in the United States sits over there. Okay. And so I worked for Lockheed there doing security. Oh, you um, started doing security right off the bat, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I was doing, a, at that point, it was a checkpoint firewall. Sounds like firewalls is all yeah. that, right? firewalls back then, yeah. So, so you got your Cisco certification and you got a checkpoint job right off the bat. Yeah, exactly. It was a, the networking team at Lockheed loved that I knew Cisco. Yeah. Because everybody else interviewed were, were strictly checkpoint guys. Hmm. And um, so I knew checkpoint well enough. It wasn't quite as good as I, I probably should have been for the job, but they did a lot of on-the-job training for, for Checkpoint for me because it was running on Solaris platforms back yeah. then. Um, and so that was new to me using Solaris. Uh, but it was good, it was a cool place to learn because uh, at the time when I joined, we were collapsing FIDI rings into just ethernet networks. Yeah. Um, and so that was a cool experience back then. I know I'm debating myself talking about FIDI rings, right? But uh, you're gonna yeah. have to explain for our listeners. Fiber distribution. You lost ninety percent of the <laughs> listeners right there. Yeah, ring technologies. Um, so, but that was so cool to come into, you know, collapsing those into just an Ethernet network, and then going into uh, they were just starting to deploy like the early Cisco VoIP solutions back then. So we were getting into that where you had to have a call manager on site and you mm -hmm. had to learn how to do all the dial pads. And so. Firewalls were easy. We set them up and you kind of set it and forget it because back then it was just layer three ACLs, right? Are we going to allow FTP through or not? Um, so I got to spend a lot of my time working on really cool route switch configurations and also just kind of weird programmatic things that they would ask us to do outside of firewalls. Um, so it was a cool place to really learn. Yeah. Uh, and it was a cool environment to learn on because there were so many weird things and so many big data sets going through there at the time. Um, one of the things that was super fascinating is, I didn't even know this until like a year after I'd been on the campus, is they had a Cray. Hmm. And it was often its own little building. And it, we never had to go over there until um, it was one of the Cray NT4 kind of mixed systems. And it had a network card that went bad, an ATM lane card. And I had to go over and there's, you see these bubbling water towers and you're yeah. fascinated going, this thing has water in it, what is this thing? And that was incredibly fascinating to actually say that there's a crazy supercomputer sitting on the same campus I'm sitting on yeah. as a young guy. I'm like, this is, this is Pretty crazy. Pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah, and so I was like, what is this doing? Is this doing something really cool? And they're like, it, you, when you do the weather, weather with it, it's like Doppler. Yeah. I'm like, you're just processing weather patterns with this thing? Like, it's pretty complex. It is complex, but are, you, know, you kind of go to war games or something where yeah. you're like, are you doing something really cool with this? Um, thinking, you see Cray is hiring a, a senior security architect here in town. Oh, really? Yeah, amazing. We, we just covered that on the show a few weeks ago. The, I don't know exactly what skill set you have to have, but number one, it's working for Cray. Number two, it's a security architect job for in their product, security architect. Wow. So I don't know. It's got to be some super smart people doing some stuff. Wow, over there. that is that is intense. Sounds I didn't like even know job. that. That yeah. does sound really cool. It sounds yeah. like 
really low-level hardware type job. That that sounds fascinating. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, sorry to distract you there. No worries. Uh, so, so how long were you? Did you work for Lockheed? Ooh, um, I don't even know how many years I was there. I was there for a long time. I thought that was going to be Lockheed was kind of going to be my career. It was a great company to work for. Um, maybe five years. Okay. Um, and then what happened was. Um, Cisco had come in. A couple of the Cisco engineers came in when we were starting to put in Catalyst 6500s uh, back when those were new. And uh, we started talking about PIXs at the time mm -hmm. and trying to get the, they were trying to get the checkpoints out and PIXs in at the, and all the fun stuff. And uh, PIXs is the uh, Cisco firewall to replace the checkpoint firewalls. Yes, yes. yes I forget I have to clarify these things. Um, and a couple of the guys just said, why, are you, why don't you work at Cisco? And I just said, I never really even thought about working at Cisco. Um, and so what kind of became out of that is Northrop Grumman kind of got wind that I wanted, I was looking potentially to go to Cisco and Northrop Grumman swooped in and said, we have some Cisco work we'd love to hire you to do. Hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. Well, this sounds like something different. It's a lot of travel. Um, I'm not sitting at a desk. I'm going to be traveling all over the world doing crazy Cisco stuff. Quote, for Northrop So instead Grumman. of doing internal networking security for Lockheed, you'd be doing consulting security for Northrop Grumman's customers. Is yes, that right? exactly. Yeah. Um, so I took that, that job. Uh, I stayed in Oklahoma for a little while, but I traveled constantly. I was in Alaska, just everywhere, yeah. um, on Air Force bases and things, basically telling them how they should design and deploy various Cisco security-centric products, uh, which was a lot of fun and an incredible learning experience to be able to see... You know, I remember the first time I saw like a Marconi switch, which I don't even know if those are still around, but in an Air Force base. Yeah. And I opened the closet, Nexus closet, and I just said, what is this? I don't even know what this company is. Yeah. Uh, and getting to replace those with, quote, state-of-the-art switches back then. Um, learning things like that, but also uh, one of the things that was really funny, and I've, I've made some great friends from working in Northrop. We're still really good friends today, is um, we were up in Almendorf, Alaska. Mm -hmm. Almendorf Air Force Base in Alaska, sorry. And um, they had the... The beginnings of the, I think it was the FA-22 Raptor and its early prototype sitting in one of the, the hangars we were working in. And they had a line on, the, on the, the hangar floor and it said, do not cross. And you know, logically you just say, I'm not going to cross that line. I don't want to know what's going to yeah. happen. But one of our teammates decided that nobody was around. So he wanted to cross the line to see the engine yeah. on this plane. And it was no sooner than he had stepped over the line that he was face down with MPs and, and guns on the back of his head. It was the craziest thing. So we it still joke about that to this espionage day. Espionage yeah, concerns. Ex exactly. Yeah. And we had to kind of get an explanation on why he crossed the line and why we were there and um, all this fun stuff. Those are kind of the fun memories that we've had from those experiences. Yeah. And even you know, this many years later, when I see Steve is his name, I still joke with him. I'm like, you know, you remember when you get face planted? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's a great learning experience. It's led to kind of where I, where I ended up. After um, Northrop, I did end up at Cisco. I went straight from Northrop to Cisco. Hmm. And on Cisco, I joined um, what was the Worldwide Security Services Practice Team, Security Consulting again. Yeah. Um, they had a team called Security Posture Assessment Team, which was a, uh, a red team, if you will, uh, for customers that were willing to pay the price for Cisco's red teaming. Uh, and so we would work with, you know, at the time, like Walmarts of the world type customers. Yeah. Uh, the big ones that would value the Cisco services that were offered. And Cisco kind of ran me through the paces of pen testing. I'd always kind of been a hacker at heart, um, but we were traveling 300 days a year um, a all over the place. I mean, it would be, I would be in Brazil for three weeks and then I might come home for maybe a couple days and then I would be in Portugal or then I would go to London or somewhere right? right and so it was it was great because there were always two of you so it was like traveling with your friend yeah. and you're going someplace and you're gonna break into something and you're gonna just pwn the hell out of everything if I can right. say that um, and it, it was just glorious you just all you did was go blow things up yeah. right and tell a customer this is how we blew things up and it was kind of the, the cool pinnacle of pen testing. Uh, eventually, that gets a little boring after like six years of blowing up the same after things. After you do the same things. Yeah, exactly. So where were you living when you were working for Cisco? So I moved from, um, Cisco moved me to Colorado. Okay. Um, so the, uh, my office was based out of Englewood um, personally, but my team was based out of Austin and San Francisco. So, the, so but Cisco wanted you here yeah. in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Is so this just, your first, that was your first time living here, I That assume? was my first time living here, yeah. Um, and so prior to... Actually, I missed. A, I actually missed a tiny gap in there. Ironically, I moved to Colorado before Cisco while I was working on Cisco contracts, because I worked here for GTRI for about five weeks. 
while I was waiting for my Cisco transition. DTRI, the contracting company, basically, right? Services. And yeah, services, Cisco partner. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, I was actually here before I started with Cisco. So I, I always forget because it was such a short stint there. Okay. Um, not that they're not relevant in their, their way. Um, but yeah, so the, so I was here and then I accepted the position at Cisco. Yeah. But they wanted me in Colorado for an international airport. Okay. Uh, because I was traveling. That was part of my job was to be on the sure. road so much. Um, and so I left Cisco in... So 2010, if I can trust your LinkedIn. Yes. De December 2010. December 2010. I had just got back from uh, Venezuela, I think. And uh, I was like, I've kind of had enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I left Cisco in 2010, which I never thought I would do, ironically. Uh, when I was at Cisco, and I didn't leave Cisco because I, I, didn't, I didn't like the company, ironically. Uh, I... When I started at Cisco, I was like, this is the last place I'll ever be. It's, it's like, it's, it's great. The culture's great. Um, I'm doing great things. You know, the team's great. The management structure's Everything about the company was great. Benefits, everything. Um, you know, you didn't want for anything. Whatever we wanted in our lab, we had it. We had all kinds of fun testing things, multiple laptops, and it was just kind of this cool place to be. Um, but you, like you said, you kind of get bored at a point, and then you go, what's my evolution? Well, my evolution was to move to San Jose, Mm -hmm. Not really a place that I wanted to end up, quite yeah. frankly. Um, not really. I love to visit the Bay Area, but I don't know if that's some place that I could just hang out and live there for. Um, and then there's also the evolution of getting into kind of the Cisco bureaucracy of, okay, you're going to move into products, you're going to move into management, what are you going to do? Right. Um, and so I kind of looked at uh, one of my good friends, Christina Harstead, um, was talking to me. She's like, you should really come join NetSource. And I was like, what is that? I mean, yeah. what are you even talking what's a, about? What's a NetSource? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so she's like, let me set up a meeting with the owners of NetSource. I know they're looking to kind of get into security, and I think you could really do great things here. And so I said, yeah, I'll kind of entertain this. I don't, I don't even know what that means. And so she kind of started the ball rolling, quite yeah. frankly, the evolution. I met with the owners, and then we kind of came to an agreement. Hey, I would, uh, yeah, I would leave Cisco to kind of start my own thing, right? Give me that time to build a security-focused company. Um, I don't want to call it a security company, but security-led or security-focused is kind of the way I like to lean into it because um, it's not strictly a security company. There's always more elements to it, like data or you know, storage arrays or things of that nature that are not pure place security. And uh, NetSource in its core was a data center company, right? Hitachi data arrays, EMC, Dell type things. And so adding security to that, we would never be a security company, we would be security-led. Okay. Um, and that's kind of been my, my so you, focus. But you're going from being a pen tester for Cisco to, you're, you're saying, like leading strategy for this company? That seems like a pretty significant jump. It is a huge jump. Um, and so some of the stuff we did at Cisco, uh, Cisco was, was a great grooming company. So while my position at Cisco was basically a network consulting engineer, which is a pen tester, if you will, um, one of the things we did internally, we were always in tasks with building new programs. Uh, for example, Cisco has a program called Deep Application Vulnerability Assessment, DAVA, is what they love their acronyms. Um, so DAVA was a program that a few of us on the SPA team came up with. Cisco at the time had 1,300, I think it was, custom homegrown apps. Hmm. None of them had ever been assessed. So we didn't know what security level they had, what posture, anything. Yeah. And they handled some of them very critical data. And so we came to this, this conclusion we had to develop programs and, and policies and procedures around how to handle these apps and new apps going forward. So Cisco was really great about kind of side grooming you into different things on how to build programs, how to force you to think creatively. And, and I never wanted to build policies or frameworks or programs. But when you got into it, it was pretty interesting to say, okay, well, these applications are being developed by developers who have no concept of security. Um, how am I going to get this to a secure state without one, offending people, but two, making sure I do it the right way and in a positive way so it's reproducible and, and consistently reproducible. And so Cisco really forced us to think on those lines even outside of our daily tasks like when I was building these programs. And I think that's really helped what, what's helped make that leap. Because uh, initially when, when Joe and Dave and the guy said, we want you to come over here, I'm like, yeah, I can build your security program. I can build you a pen testing team. That's easy right. to do. Um, the, there was a lot of like trial by fire with the whole like, let's build out a full security focused company. Right? And in the, in the past, when I, I was a part of like Secure Network Operations or Snowsoft research team, we had our own little autonomy. We had our own little company. We were a research team, but we, we ran like a company. So there were some elements that I was used to. Uh, but that was many, many years previous. So NetSource was kind of this interesting, how am I going to build a security-led practice with, yeah. with what I have and what I need? And so it really forces you to kind of grow up. 
Uh, and that's what I always tell some of like Phil and the guys, like, you know, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, what I was, would I be a CSO? I would tell you no. Uh, it was never on my radar or yeah. even CTO for NetSource at the time. It was never a job directive for me. It was more so I wanted to be engineering. I wanted to flip bits. I wanted to understand how to, how to write the latest attack factor. Yeah. Um, but then I also understood as, as I started NetSource so that that is a great, glorious, fun job to flip bits, as I call it. It is incredibly fun. Um, but it is not something that helps customers hmm. at the end of the day, always. Um, how can I build something that if I come to you and talk to you and you give me a problem, me talking to you about buffer overflows isn't going to solve your problem, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, there's another pain point. There's another way to resolve it. There's mul multiple facets in security that we have to understand. And I think NetSource really pushed me to, to grow that and understand that. And so I spent five years, I think it was five years there, yeah. Yeah, it looks like over five um, years. Yeah, growing that out and building it with a lot of trial and different techniques. And a, and a lot of actually, honestly, talking to industry peers, quite frankly. Um, I would talk to some of my friends like Jay Coons, for example, who runs, um, I forget the name of his new company. He'll, he'll kill me for that. But um, he ran OSVDB for, for the longest yeah. time. And so now that's called Vulnerability Database. I think he monetized it. I would talk to him about different strategies. And uh, occasionally, I think I had lunch with uh, Brian Jericho. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about various different things in the industry and things that annoyed us. Or things. So you take feedback from all these different people and all these different peers and people you idolize. And, and you kind of just say, okay, based on what I'm finding in the industry, as well as talking to a multitude of customers who are at least being gracious enough to tell me what their problems are, maybe I can build something that will solve at least most of these things in some way. And then you, you kind of build a puzzle out of it and you start putting the pieces together, which the pieces are the company, so to speak. And that's kind of how I got into it, quite frankly, of really building these out. So, you know, you had five years to, to learn there. What were your biggest learnings for like, what's the recipe that worked? And maybe it doesn't always work, but it worked there and then you went to Red Sky. We'll talk about that, but what did you learn in those five years? You know, I think the biggest thing I learned if you're starting a company is that you need to make sure that everybody that you're, you're partnered with, you're all aligned and you're all firing the same way. I call it the Death Star beam, right? Make sure that the Death Star is firing in sequence at the same time. And it's, you, you know, it's not that you're always gonna be in agreement with everything, but everybody should be at least tracking to the same goal within a company. Uh, and that creates a culture, and that culture is the most important thing to a company, right? If you don't, if you can't create a unified culture in the company because you're all aligned, you're gonna have eventually some disagreements and some probably impasses. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest thing I learned outside of the obviously the pieces of growing a company and learning PL and and all the little financial things I never cared to, but now yeah. are very fascinating to me. Um, being able to understand the human elements of uh, bending and flexing as well are also that's part of that that firing in a single line yeah. is realizing that you're not the center of the world you've got how many people working with you and for you um, everybody's important yeah I think that to me has been the most critical piece to take into yeah. any it, company it's, been, it's amazing how little finance and budgeting is interesting until all of a sudden you care right absolutely like, if it's hypothetical in a finance class somewhere it's just i just can't bring myself to caring about it and then <laughs> and then when it's my budget when it's you know when the, the the bottom line matters it's it's really quite interesting and it's forecasting thing it's a pretty good idea we should get good at this that is so very true and even today to this day there are certain things in finance i get charts and i get powerpoints sent to me on certain uh, metrics um which we could talk about a little later with the Presidio scenario. Uh, and sometimes I just look at the charts and I gloss over, mm -hmm. unless it's really relevant to what I'm wanting to see. So it's still relevant today where I'll look at a chart and say I'm ignoring this slide. But this slide is super important to me because yeah. I care about this, this financial piece. You're absolutely correct about that. Yeah. Well, it looks like you, you moved over to Red Sky in December 2015. That is correct. Um, and, and so tell me about what was the impetus for making a change and, and what did you move to? Sure. So after five years of working with the team at NetSource, you know, we're, we're just in a, I'm going to talk about differences of opinion. Uh, and the, that's kind of the emphasis of, of the, the move, right? Is I, I'm, I'm very much a creator. As Chris Barney, the CEO of Red Sky, would tell you, I'm very much about painting mm -hmm. and making something. And uh, NetSource was more about a, let's just kind of keep the status quo. We'll grow a little bit. We'll do some things here or there. But it was more of a lifestyle company. And I'm more of a kind of a hyper-growth painter. I want to create things that um, I can deliver and not wait five years to do it, so to speak, um, and not have any pain points consistently holding me up. And so that kind of created some frustration with me at NetSource from 
that perspective of, hey, how are we going to grow this company? Uh, if we're not all aligned and we're not all firing in the same beam, yeah. we're not going to grow the company the way that it should be grown. And, and that's okay for, for those of you that want to continue the company the way it is. But as a painter, quote, I wanted to go out and, and do kind of better things, so to speak. And so that's kind of what drove the impetus of me kind of just to say, maybe this is, maybe I, I've kind of run my course here mm. and maybe I need to look at the next, next elevation, so to speak. Uh, and kind of like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, pre-podcast, but uh, it was um, Chris Barney, the CEO of Red Sky, had, had caught me at a conference, a Palo Alto conference, and he just does, he's very persistent. He doesn't give up. Um, you know, basically alluded to the fact that I would be working at Red Sky. <laughs> and and what, what, were, what was his vision for you to do for Red Sky? And what was Red Sky pre-Justin and post-Justin? Sure. So Red Sky was, uh, was um, prior to me actually, was more network-focused. A network and platform kind of data center and network company and similar to uh, what NetSource was similar very yeah. similar indeed uh, but we're actually competing uh, companies in fact in that area and they were brocades number one partner in the united states for different kinds of uh, switch lines and so chris's vision was hey we see the security shift we know we need to be able to provide security solutions to our customer without forgetting that we're also a platform and network company as well um, and so we want you to kind of come and build that for us uh, and get, I'm going to give you the uh, kind of autonomy to do that. You tell me what you need. And I'll tell you when you're crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of so to speak. And uh, that's kind of was what kind of drove the conversation. You know, there was some like we discussed earlier, some more forceful points where he was a little more like hate in my face about some things uh, in terms of like getting me to come over. Uh, but it, inevitably, that's what drove it. Uh, the ability to to say, hey, okay, here I have this management team at a company that wants me to join them. They're definitely open-minded to being security-led, but not a security company, so to speak. Um, they have the drive and the ambition to to continue hypergrowth or to get into hypergrowth and, yeah. and maintain it, uh, and and have a lot of fun while you're doing it. Um, another big component for me with Red Sky is that Chris Barney and, and everybody through the management team, whether it's John Jensen or Andy Olson, or, um, Kevin Kerr, CIO, uh, super family committed. Mm -hmm. So Red Sky is a huge family company. Was um, so. The, Chris Barney, our CEO, could tell you the name of everybody in the company. Yeah. How, how big is the company? Um, at that time, they, were, they weren't that big, 20. Maybe, okay. maybe I was 20-something. I, I could be off on that. Uh, but even as we get to 100 employees, Chris knows everybody, right? Yeah. And he knows it mentally. And I think that was the thing, seeing kind of that just family atmosphere, meeting the team and seeing how, how much camaraderie there was and that culture was there, that culture of let's do great things. That was the driving force for me to say, okay, yeah. I think I can align here, and I think there's so many cool teammates here that we can build something great. Yeah, yeah. And so you talked about you talked about hyper growth a couple of times. What does that mean to you? What's hyper growth? So hyper growth to me is when a company is sustaining over 30% year-over-year growth. Okay. Um, at least for for a reseller type yeah. company, right? Um, a little bit easier to blow those numbers out in certain product type companies, but it's, uh, it's easier the first couple of years. Right? Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, you can go get a hundred percent growth at the beginning, or a thousand percent growth. It gets harder and harder easier as you go on. It's very true. You know, I, I do I do chuckle to myself when I see companies go, I have five thousand percent growth, and like that's because last year you made five hundred thousand dollars. Right. Right. So right. the numbers do get skewed. Um, hyper growth to me is is continually doing it over yeah. a set of like four or five years, right? Yeah. Just sustaining it. Um, and it's not sustainable forever, but if you can hold it for, for a you know, long time, yeah, yeah for five, yeah. six years without, you know, or, organically without investment, yeah. it's a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah. And that's something we, we set out to do at Red Sky and we achieve that really, really quickly by just, again, aligning the Death Star, making sure that the, the teams were all aligned, the culture was there and we're all now my, my newest analogy in the company is that we're all rowing the same direction in the, in the canoe. Um, cause paddles right um, so that's kind of what drove that along with our culture and just the the thing with red sky that was really cool and it's still cool today is that we're engineering heavy mm. so we had more engineers than we had salespeople or anything yeah uh, and that was pretty unique for a reseller at the time when we when I first joined yeah. to be that engineering heavy and and being so engineering focused and at the time we didn't have a, uh, a kind of a split post sales pre-sales scenario our engineers were both. So we were small enough that the engineer that you talked to with an account manager was probably the engineer that was gonna also install your solution sure. or do whatever it was you're looking for, which created a really cool atmosphere. It's not a sustainable model as you grow. You do have to split the teams out and have organization because that's just growth, also maturing factor of things you have to understand with business, right? But if you can do that for a while and then build that camaraderie and then your, your teams are already there, they're, they know exactly what roles they like. Certain engineers like post-sales, certain engineers like pre-sales, it's easier 
to when you get bigger for those teams to split apart mm. uh, kind of logically and say, I'm pre-sales, I'm post-sales. Sure. Uh, and that's kind of where we grew that to. So it, tactically speaking, you got into the job and you know your goal was to build a security practice out and you know make this you know, kind of change the company. How, how do you do that? What, what's step one through five look like there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I call it moving the Titanic just slightly. Okay. Um, and I still do, I still say that today. Um, when you take a company that has any kind of sales motion to it, mm-hmm. uh, and that sales motion is non-security related, so mostly let's say that there's a lot of, let's for the sake of today's technology, pure storage arrays, they're selling a ton of pure storage or Nutanix or whatever it may be, and the sales reps are making a, a lot of money doing it. Yeah. And then you come in and say, I, want, I need to take like 5% of your attention because I'm going to show you something cool and something we're now growing. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do because the salesperson's so focused on that dollar. And you're now telling them, I'm going to take some of your runway away. Run they, rate. they have an existing pipeline. Yes. They, they, they have all the stakeholders at the customers. They know how to sell yep. the, the old stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so essentially what we did at that point is um, the first thing I did at Red Sky was to kind of get everybody together. So we had a sales kickoff. And there was uh, something John Jensen put together, which was awesome. So we could come together as a whole company and present kind of the direction where we wanted to go. And the first thing I always, I always tell everybody in the team when we were starting something new was, this is not the, the primary focus of the company. Red Sky is not a security company. We will be security-led. And what that means for you is that everything that we do has security built into it. So if we're still talking about a Pure or Nutanix or whatever it may be, those things still have security components to them, whether it's encryption, at rest, whatever it may be. We still need to understand those components. I'm not wanting you to distract from that, but understand that these security components also play into a bigger discussion with your customers that you should be having anyways about how you're going to help them secure their yeah. infrastructure. Um, and so we did some presentations on that. Um, the easiest way to break into security for a, a new rep or someone who's not focused on it heavily is services, quite frankly. And so we launched our applied research team right off the bat, and that was our pen testing team. I think we had two engineers, and I was doing pen testing as well. Um, and that's easy enough for an account team to grab a hold of and go to their customers and say, "Who's doing your pen testing? Right. You want to give us a shot at it? You know, we, here's what our sample looks like." Uh, and that that gets the door open, right? So and step that, one: building building some pen testing out that's an easy service to sell. Right, yeah. right, and yeah. and so that once they get kind of the understanding of that, what tends to happen at least in the, you know, the, the two kind of consecutive build-outs here, is that the, the account managers understand that you become more valuable to your, to your customer base. You now are not just the guy that sells Nutanix, right? You, you also understand the security strategy, or you can bring in parts of the team to help your customer on a wider array of things, and you become much more valuable, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we kind of built that out. We started heavily with services and easier services that are easier to pitch. They're a little more competitive, right? And so sometimes they may even become a bit of a loss leader for you because you can't go out and say, I'm demanding that you pay $30,000 a week for a pen test because I'm cooler than company right. XYZ. Right. And company XYZ is $9,500. And you're like, nah, you, you're not gonna go anywhere, yeah. right? You have to be realistic. And sometimes you have to come in under that because you're new to the market. Yeah. Um, and that loss leader scenario is more about growing your team's confidence and getting them to understand we're now shifting into security-led, not security company, but security-led. And that's really what we did. We spent a lot of time, um, I spent a ton of time on planes with the account managers, going to a lot of meetings with them, talking to them about how I would approach security discussions. And to me, it is just a discussion, having a very casual, like we are now, discussion. It's not a scary thing. It's just, hey, let's just, what's going on, right? Be human, right? Uh, And so I spent a lot of time the first six months just everywhere with our account teams and our I started kind of building my plans for what engineers and consultants I could bring on board. And uh, Phil Wong and Eileen Wells will tell you I always have this master plan. There's a picture of us at Black Hat a few years ago of all of us together with Chris Barney before they came to Red Sky. And um, I had knew at that point I wanted to bring both of them on. Yeah. And so we had this laugh now that they're like, you always have this master plan of people that you want to work you know, alongside. Mm. And so that's kind of what I did. I built this plan. I went around and asked everybody who, who would be the most top-notch engineer that you would love. And because I didn't know everybody at yeah. the time, I spent so much time traveling. Uh, and I kind of built it out, quite mm. honestly. And it was, I made a list and we just started, I went to an executive team. We'd have retreats and we'd sit down and I'd say, this is kind of eventually what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and it worked out splendidly well in this instance, but I think it did that. It, it did so because again, the team was so driven across the board. Yeah. Everybody understood that we're not a security company. We're integrating security into what we do, 
uh, but we're still gonna do what we do and do it well. And we're only gonna focus on the things we do really well, and we're not gonna try to step outside of that wheelhouse because that's also where you start to stumble is if you tell a customer, yeah, I can do that, yeah, I can do that, yeah, I can do that, you start to become CDW, right? right. No offense to CDW, they just have a lot of products. Um, and then when you're a little red sky, a 30-person company at the time, there's no way you can scale to that, yeah. right? So you have to pick your partnerships pretty yeah. pretty well. So, so you know, looking at the growth over the last two plus years that you've been there, almost three years, what are the capabilities that you've really grown into? You mentioned, you know, pen testing was a starting point. What's that turned into? Sure. That's a, that's a good question. So we, we grew services both on, on what we call a post-sales side of the house, so Palo Alto type uh, engineering, security product engineering, as well as applied research, which is our dark arts team, which yeah. is the pen testing, code reviews, uh, mobile assessments. Uh, so being able to disassemble iOS uh, and work with customers on SDLC. Yeah. So applied research matured into a, a team that really kind of became less pen testing, so to speak, and more about reviews. Hmm. Um, customers would uh, like integrate us into their SDLC to say, hey, our QA team is gonna send you their code for this quarter, can you guys check the code out and make sure that there's no security issues that are glaring? Hmm. And that's really what that team grew into. Uh, we still do a lot of uh, what I call basic pen testing, kind of the scan and, and light confirmation of the vulnerabilities there. Right. Uh, very few customers are asking us for intense red teaming right now. So that's it's more so about the code reviews, web apps for those guys. Um, applied research broke off as well into another scenario, which was kind of a managed services scenario. So we were built out what we called managed uh, vulnerability threat management hmm. is where we could actually ingest customers' data. And we, we built an actual homegrown portal with charts and all kinds of cool remediation functions. And customers could then maintain and manage their vulnerability lifecycle uh, with, our, with our engineering team helping Pretty them on cool. the back end. Yeah. So that, that kind of broke out that way. And then the product side, we decided that Palo Alto was a product we really loved, uh, the firewalls at the time. And so we invested a lot in engineering on Palo Alto certifications, becoming their number one partner in terms of engineering capabilities and delivery capabilities. Uh, because we already had engineers that could deliver Juniper, Brocade type network installs and things of the nature, and those guys were busy. Uh, but for our product side of the house, when you look at customers that needed like a help with Palo Alto or Proofpoint or whatever it was, we needed to pick our partnerships there very strategically. Uh, one, to make sure that the products that we're, we're choosing to partner with are actually good products. Right. Um, but two, that we could support them and yeah. without having to go to the vendor for anything. Without having to have you know hundreds of engineers. Yeah, too, right? that's, absolutely. That's, that's another challenge. Yeah. All right, fast forwarding a little bit, you guys have had a, an ownership change, right? You want to talk about that a little at all? Yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about that. So in April 2nd of this year, we announced uh, we were acquired by Presidio. Yeah. Uh, so Presidio is not really well known in the Colorado market or the Rocky right. Mountain region right now. Um, they are a $3 billion uh, systems integrator, if you will. Mm -hmm. I don't want to call them reseller. I think that's a disservice. But a systems integrator, uh, engineering heavy firm. Uh, predominantly, they're... I think Cisco's second or third largest partner in the world right now. I think first largest unified communication partner. Um, so they are huge into the unified communica communication space mm. and really delving into the security spaces now. Um, and so they've, they've had a cybersecurity practice for a while um, that does a lot of pen testing, compliance type stuff. Uh, they, out west here, they haven't had, like if you're aware of, not much of a, a brand or an image. Right. And so that was kind of their go-to for us. Uh, we were was it in 2017, they were Palto's Partner of the Year, National Partner of the Year, and we were Palto's uh, Western Partner of the Year. Hmm. And so I think that kind of got them thinking at that point in time, yeah. hmm, you know, these guys, the small little shop here winning Partner of the Year has got to be something special here. And so that, that started the balls rolling there, I think. Um, and so we, got, we announced the acquisition April 2nd. Um, we're still, like I said, mentioned earlier, we're still trying to figure out the branding, what, what that means with the Red Sky logo um, or the Red Sky name itself. Uh, right now, we're, we're called Red Sky, a Presidio company. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll see how that plays out. Right. Um, we're pretty proud of our Red Sky brand. Uh, as the, they all found out, we were in Orlando a couple weeks ago now for their national sales meeting, sales and engineering meeting. And the Red Sky engineers all showed up in Red Sky polo shirts, backpacks, socks, belts, everything. And the CEO of Presidio just laughed. He's like, you guys in those polo shirts, man. Um, so it's, it's hard you to break You are that wearing brand. a Red Sky polo shirt right now. I, I am indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a ton of these in my closet. Um, yeah, it's when you've built something, right? It's your baby and you've got so much pride in it. And yeah. 
it's it's hard to let it go, yeah. um, especially if, if you, you know, what you did. I mean, this this actual design was something that I approved with Chris Barnett prior to him coming on board. The new three the stripes, new, the logo, yeah. yeah. And so um, you kind of it's hard to let that go, right? Yeah. Eventually, you have to because that's just what happens in an acquisition type equity event is eventually that gets absorbed. But we'll see what happens with the logo because they don't have the branding we do or the right. branding power we have out here right now. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. It will be. Uh, and uh, something else I saw on your uh, LinkedIn here. It looks like you're a uh, you're a volunteer for B sides Las Vegas. Can you talk yeah. about that and get involvement? Yes. So I am um, the secretary of the board for B sides Las Vegas, some board of directors. Um, so and I'm also on the CFP panel. Okay. For um, and I do that. The CFP panel is is a lot of fun, but man, it takes a lot of time. So each year I kind of pull myself out of that a little less and a little less, unless they need me to. Uh, last year I did CFP. Uh, the, sorry, say last year. This past summer, I did CFP again for B-Sides. Um, and that's a, it's a challenging thing. Like the board of directors is challenging, but CFP is really challenging mm. because there's so many awesome submissions coming in. And you kind of look at them and you read, there's a lot of reading, obviously, and a lot of categorization. And you have so many slots to fill and you have all this great content. And you're like, man, how do I pick and choose? Luckily, there's more than one CFP member, right? And we aggregate scores, and there's a whole secondary chair that that helps out with that. Um, But it's a a super fascinating and cool thing to do. I definitely, the CFP panel is a volunteer team. You can actually reach out to to B-Sides Las Vegas and and volunteer to do things Mm -hmm. there, Um, whether it's working on site with them or or CFP panel type stuff. Or if you want to be on the CFP panel, definitely reach out to me. I can help you with that. But it's... It's a fascinating thing to see all the different research that people are, are doing. The hardest part, like I said, is to say, man, I, I, I don't think this fits here, but I really think it's so cool, but I yeah. don't know where I would put it in the conference. And I'm sure uh, in the past with RMSIC, you probably had the same issues yeah. where it's like, how do you, oh, I need to start another little track here because this is so neat. But, I, but yeah. you, just, you just can't put it all in. Yeah, right? absolutely. There's, there's way too much good content. Yeah. Uh, what, do, do you have any other community in, involvement you want to talk about? Oh, you've been around here a while. And... Yeah, you know, I, I've i been traveling so much with uh, with our acquisition and, and the kind of acceleration yeah. of Red Sky. I haven't been home much, to be honest with you. That's something I've kind of, um, I've talked to Phil Wong about recently is I haven't been out to much of the OWA stuff or yeah. any of that stuff. I always seem to be out of town when those meetings mm-hmm. are going on. So I do need to get more connected with the local teams here. I said teams, but the crew, yeah. uh, and spend more time out at those events if I can. Yeah. Um, so if there's something you guys recommend, I definitely am open for that. All kinds of great um, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The Colorado Equal Security Event Calendar has <laughs> stuff going on just about every night of the week. Okay, I will check it out. I, I've taken the hint there. Uh, there's uh, a, you know, I don't know if you've got the DenSec meetup. You've been to that stuff? I don't they, think they do so. these, it's the, was it the third Wednesday of the month? Um, sorry if I got that wrong, guys. They, they get together at, a, at one of the bars downtown, and okay. it's just a great group. Of, you'd love it. You'd love hanging out with those guys. Right. There's, no, there's no speaker. It's just a social just event. And talk to some security guys. Okay. Lots of good opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely, one of the things that I'm kind of stoked about with the acquisition and is I'm going to slow my travel down about yeah. November because um, we were getting everything aligned now, and I've got the teams in the different geos so I can be home a lot more uh, and kind of build the kind of my my network of people here again. Um, so I definitely will reach out yeah. and look at that calendar to kind of jump out there um, outside of work stuff. I work too much, clearly. Yeah, you got to stop working. <laughs> well, you know, I, we've had a great conversation. Uh, I, I want to ask you, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask? <sighs> I have no idea on that. Um, I've kind of <laughs> covered a lot of things. Um, oof. No, I don't think, I can't cool. think of anything. Well, Dustin, this is awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, what happens with Red Sky and you in the future, and we'll, we'll check in and, and keep tabs on what's going on. Absolutely. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.